Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's going on, Recovery Fam? And welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al Jalil, Tomas Hernandez, and our guest, Rainbow Griego from Denver. And if this is your first time checking out this program, well, welcome. Thank you for being here. And Sharing Our Stories is a program all about addiction and recovery. Everybody in this room has dealt with addiction to drugs and or alcohol, and we are in our recovery. And we like to share that, yes, recovery happens. So if you, a friend, a family member um, are dealing with addiction, we want you to see that yes, recovery happens and spread a little hope, spread a little inspiration and spread a little strength out there to you. So welcome to the program. Uh, Tomas, welcome back. Hey, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing good. I know you're tired, man, because you were working so hard. I can see see the look on your face, a man who is <laughs> traveling from state to state doing way too much uh for a good cause yeah you know it's uh when you get on a national level and i've said it before on the show it just uh it uh it wears and it tears you know like you got to balance and you know compartmentalize your lives you in different places taking some time for your own self your own mental health for your you know your, you know you, I for can, you <laughs> i can say yes but you know a lot of stuff blends so it's like it's like you got to figure out that art, you know, like, like I just picked up a new sponsor, you know, getting back up in the, in the steps. Cause it's like, a, it's a reboot of things, you know, uh, you can live like, how do I put it? You got to compartmentalize your recovery, your personal life and the needs of others and your business, you know? And a lot of times when you get into it, there's no choice for it to blend because you just got to get into it and figure it out. So before, by the time you figure out that you got to start separating things, you're tired as hell. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and I'm in the in the motion of, of making sense of everything. And thank God I ain't made the whole world mad in my personal life. And, uh-huh. and uh, you know, there's always a get back to those situations. You know what I mean? But um, Nani, is this man overworked or what? This man works. This man works. <laughs> yeah. It's in a lot of work. Yeah, yes. I do. I do. You know what I mean? It's not just tribe. I, I, I have a, a couple other business interests that I'm the owner of. So, you know, it's, you know, you got to put on one hat snap on the other one, do this, that, and then new positions you got to like learn. You know, when I'm in, when I'm here, I got what I've built here. But when you're in Las Vegas, you know, I'm just Tomas. You know, they don't know me who I, who I am. I'm just this mysterious guy. That That's why drives. you're growing your hair too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just this mysterious guy that, that shows up in a murdered out Cadillac and talking about hope. Uh-huh. And dreams and stuff, you know, and then just opened a treatment center under everybody's noses. And then all of a sudden I have the mayor there. And then all of a sudden they're like, who is this dude? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just, and it's still not, even if you do miracle work like that and, and, and put up, you still got to show up every day because, you know, it's just like recovery. Everything is a maintenance and, and trying to get that, that across the line, you know, um, Fortunately, I got some great people that are there that are, you know, I just know, met these people. I just know them. So, you know, they're supportive. But, you know, my my main infrastructure of, of uh, support teams is, is, is in Colorado, you know, because that's where I'm from. Those are the people that I know, 
you know, 24 seven, not to say, you know, anybody that I know in Las Vegas are great people. You know, I've, I've set myself a good, mm -hmm. good foundation of, 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 of friends that are, are becoming family that, that, that support me, that hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't look at those lights and, and, and all that stuff. You know, I have no, I don't ever want to use again. I know, I know who I am when I use, I'm too much sober and clean. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, I, you know, you know, I got, I got this certain way of living. I, I'm a lot for, you know, it's not, I'm not a nine to fiver. Mm -hmm. So anybody that's in my life trying to like fit in the situation that I'm in, it's really hard, you know? So that's the balance that you, that you have to get because, you know, I'll be a blink of an eye, I'll be on a plane. And that's been my whole recovery. This was even before, like when I started tribe, that's what I did. I jumped on planes to help people. Like I had a summer backpack and a winter backpack and somebody would call me for intervention. I jump on the plane and I'd be out. Mm -hmm. And I'd be in Florida, I'd be in Texas, I'd be in LA, I'd be in Boyle Heights, I'd be in, you know what I mean? All the way up to wherever the hell I was in San, like South Dakota at a cigar shop waiting for a kid one time. Like, you know, he was around the corner just scoping the motel that he was sitting there. So happened to be a cigar shop right there just smoking and waiting for him to kind of walk out his room where his mom booked his room at. You know, it's like, but it's still, you know, to long story short, it's uh, taking care of myself. I'm getting better at it. I'm tired. Yeah, you know, come on. That's, that's my whole point here. Like, yeah. tired. You, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I just got you tired. tired. <laughs> that was like the five-minute version of Tomas. Yeah. You're working Well, I could be like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm tired, Joe. What's up? Yeah. I'm tired, yeah. You <laughs> got it. I was expecting it. Like you got it. Here was, well, you know, well, yeah. putting in this work to- You start speaking Spanish or something so you can understand it in Puerto Rican. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah, I'm tired. You sound like some NFL player, some freaking hip-hop. I'm tired, Joe. I'm tired. Uh, well, I figured it was all the hard work. Just make sure you're taking care of yourself as you continue to expand Tribe Recovery Homes. Thank you. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I may be tired, but I'm not tired of that. Hell yeah. no, you I know. You know what I mean? I'm on it. That's happening. Did you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the bleep. All right. <laughs> Six minutes in. Uh -huh. First curse word. All right. Nailed it. Not too bad. Yeah. All right. So. Our guest today for sharing our stories is Rainbow Griego. And Rainbow was supposed to be our guest how long ago? It was about a month ago. About a month ago? Yeah, about a month ago. Um, and Griego didn't make it because? Um, Leilani Shalom decided to bless us with her presence. You had a baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally the day she was supposed to come in and speak with us uh, was the day that your baby was born. Yes. That's that so morning. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. Well, I calls and I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> let me let her know. Yeah. I will not be there. Uh -huh. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, I'm so glad you're able to make it now. Your baby is around the corner. Yes. With Lonnie, your man. Yes. Yeah, shout out to man. both of them. They're over there. <laughs> um, but this is all about you today. And this is about your uh, struggles with addiction and your recovery. So we want to thank you for coming in to share. Uh, I know that you're at seven years. Yes. Seven, me too. Ish. High five. Seven. High five. That's right. That one. That's right. Seven years is yeah. a big deal. It's um, huge. Yes. Definitely. Big deal. So awesome. So we're going to turn this over to you. This is your program to share in your life. And uh, Malhai, our guest today is Rainbow Griego from Denver. Hello, everybody. I'm Rainbow. Um, here because of my lovely friend, Nani, who um, invited me here. And so a part of my life is addiction, you know, um, 
starting, let me go back way back to my childhood because, you know, um, I grew up with trauma um, at a young age. And then my mother leaving, I was raised by my father who was also an addict. Um, so it was um, not an easy childhood. Of course, I went from this little young girl into the streets thinking that was um, like, it was my cover up, you know, uh, from my pain and everything that I was feeling from the trauma that I had as a child. Um, started using at a young age, 11 years old, um, weed, acid, um, dealing started, you know, was a part of that. I was dealing acid in middle school, thinking that it was cool at school, <laughs> tripping in class, you know, um, <laughs> those days were crazy because, you know, I was able to handle that, but you start handing that to people and they can't handle that. And then you're like, I gotta go. Bye, you know, <laughs> where do I go now? Um, so once I got into alcohol, that changed everything, you know, things started to get um, every week, you know, even we were throwing parties and drinking all the time, thinking that was cool and progressing from just drinking to doing lines and um so what part of town are you from i'm from the west side of denver all right all right baker neighborhood okay okay <laughs> um went to baker middle school went to west high school didn't last very long um there See, that's why we need you at tribe that's where we're at okay <laughs> I, the, the wheels in my head are already spinning you know um, <laughs> yep uh we dropped somebody off there not too long ago All right um good you yes, know keep them coming yeah it's um a vicious cycle out there yeah, once you is. get into that um cycle it's hard to get out if you don't know you have support or where to go when you when it's there you know um and that's a part of my whole life, just being in this life that you think is cool, using, selling, going out, drinking, clubbing, you know, you get caught up in this lifestyle. And once I started selling drugs, I had a reputation to uphold. So when I started using, it was not like, hey, what's up? You want to get high? You know what I mean? It was like, I'm going to go make my money and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to be stuck all night. It was just an awful thing. Um, I didn't want nobody to know that I was using. It was a very shameful time of my life, even though everybody was doing it. Everybody, everywhere I went, somebody was using something, some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And so um, started with Coke, went to meth. And that's when I really lost myself, lost my kids, um, broke relationships with my family, even though I didn't like 
subject them to my addiction, mm-hmm. um, there was no trust, you know. Like if I was, because I got high, if I was going to go in, was I going to steal? Was I going to take from them? No, not really. I had my own money. I did my own thing. But it's just that label that addicts get when you're getting high, you know, who are you going to steal from? Who are you going to hurt? Yeah. And, you know, it's a simple fact. What's funny is in that, you know, my family's from the same culture and it's, uh, Everybody has a level of addiction. So alcoholics are better than cokeheads. Cokeheads are better than meth heads. And they have their own little way of battering. And, and, and the stigmas are inside of us while we're still using. And all of us are using in our own way. Mm-hmm. And it's that blame factor. And it even splinters even more and spirals. And it's really confusing when you're young. So I feel what you're saying on that. You know, I could just kind of feel it in your story of, you know, coming home and like you got a pocket full of money and you're like, man, I don't need your like broken phone. Like what you talking about? You know what I mean? But they still will profess that you stole it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, and my dad was an addict my entire life. Thank God that he is uh, 15 years sober. And but when he got sober, it was he was God almighty. And you know, it was so bad that what I was doing when my whole entire life, I waited for you with broken promises and hard feelings and um, moving around and living with family members because, you know, he yeah. was locked up. But when I was getting high, it was like the end of the world, you know, and it was way different. I My kids didn't sit at the bathroom door waiting for me to come out. You know, granted, like I took time away from them because weekends came they went with family you know they were over here they were over here they didn't see me in my addiction either but that didn't mean that I didn't still hurt them because I was taking away my time with them Mm -hmm. instead of spending time with them okay I went they went to school they were on roll students you know they did good and this and that but came tonight it was mommy's time bye I was out you know and it was that was still hurting my children in a different manner than what I was hurting and so isn't uh, it crazy how we become we become the generation of generational drug use in 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 gangs and everything like that we learn these things these mechanisms inward so young that it just becomes second nature to use them yep and before you know it, you have no idea that you're using this very thing that hurts you. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And when you realize that, though, is like the best thing is because for years I was like, I'm not an addict. I'm a functioning addict. I get up every day. I go to work. I take care of my kids. I do this. I do that. But yet I'm still an addict. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm still using. I'm still hurting my kids. I'm still breaking relationships. I'm still... Um, isolating. Um, I'm still holding that guilt, that shame that keeps me in my addiction that says, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my F it all pill (laughs) 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 and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go over here. And um, acceptance is a huge part in your recovery. You have to accept that you're an addict. You have to accept that you need change. You have to accept that Change is going to be hard and, you know. And that change is possible too. Yeah. You have to accept that change is even possible. Yeah. Because um, for years, you know, I was 
lost in my addiction for 10 years, deep in my addiction. But it, and I used to always point the finger, blame this person and that person. Oh, I was in this relationship, but I still chose to put that pipe to my mouth, not nobody else, even though the abuse and all the bad things that were happening in my life, like I was numbing, I was covering up. It was still my choice to get high. Mm. And so you have to really start wanting to dig deep and figure out. Because for me, I couldn't get sober and stay sober until I started to get to the root of all my problems mm -hmm. and find out that, hey, okay, I was hurt at a, at a young age, but there's still people that go through life that go through even worse things than me that are still come out and don't use, don't get high, you know, and are successful, but I didn't. And those were because of my choices that I made. I decided to stay in my pity and be like, oh, um, I was hurt, so I'm going to go run over here and I'm going to get high or I'm going to drink. It wasn't okay. It was just hurting my whole life, you know. I was, drinking isn't any better than getting high. Because no that's our gateway. You know, you you can you can still lie and have it in a martini glass to a wine glass. It's still the same thing. Yep. You know, I've coached, I've coached athletes. I've coached millionaires. You know, I used to have this millionaire gentleman, God rest his soul. Um, his binge drinking was just out of a crystal glass. I mean, this this setup that he had was worth ten grand. You know that he would dump his 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 death into. Mm. And he would sit in his office and he would hide it until he couldn't hide it no more. And then his wife would call me because he missed another dance recital or he missed this, he missed that. Mm. And he'd just be laying in his in his office and we would have to call family members because he would be in his own urine and whatever else because he drank himself mm -hmm. to that point of depression and everything. And, you know, and that's what's crazy about it because West Side, for the people that don't know that just got here, um, being from the West side, there's not, it's a little gentrified now, but there's not a lot of money that was there. You know what I mean? So what you're doing with the neighborhood, you're sharing, you're doing things is a different kind of culture, but it doesn't matter what culture you're in because like the gentleman I was talking about, he had everything, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. everything and died of cirrhosis, mm -hmm. died in his car. That's a terrible, you know what I mean? Die. Died yeah. in his car. Just, they couldn't find him for three days. You know what I mean? So with that being said, you know, having that sickness, no, no medical attention, all that stuff, you know, this is insidious. And I did this post insidious madness, incarceration, you know, all these things of mental health and, and, and addiction that we don't understand because it's the first time you see somebody use or you see a domestic violence situation or you see uh, a fight or you see something that's happening. It's, you're imprinted by it. It don't matter how old you are. And then if you see it repetitively and then you participate with the things that are happening and you try to block and shade and all those things, um, we learn these mechanisms of, of, of lower self-worth and, you know, aggression and all these things, you know, and I don't know. I just, I really resonate with your story because with coming from those neighborhoods is why tribe was born. You know what I mean? Cause there's not a lot of help for us. In places that if you have, you know, native, Hispanic, black culture, you know what I mean? Or poor and white, you know, there's not a lot of 
a lot of help for us. We were told to go to work, told to go to church and shut the hell up. You know what I mean? And if you ain't at like some outreach center and professing God like that, Jesus Christ, dude, and all that stuff, like, I, I don't see it that way. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get on that. Don't worry. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've been blowing the Christians up on this show. But anyway. You're okay. Yeah, oh, wow. You have up on a show. Christian right here. Now, my bad, so my bad. I've been blowing them up. But anyway, <laughs> with that being said, I'll let you get back to your story. But I just really appreciate that because women in recovery doing things that are right, you know. Um, that's just, that's a, that's something that's, that's very, very important for every, all of our listeners to hear, yeah. you know, that was a hard, hard place. Just, I can see the house in the neighborhood, basically what you're talking about right now. I can see the parks, the streets, the alleyways and the stuff that, and the, and the bars that were around there back then, you know, yeah. where to go, where we knew where to go, you know, yep. and, and those places, you know, and, you know, most of them are closed, but they opened up with different names, you know? Yep. And the crazy part is I started drinking out in the bars and the clubs at 17 because my sister was 21 who looked just like me. <laughs> so it was like me and my friend had sisters who were older than us. And so we thought we was just all that, you mm -hmm. know? And that's when it was my alcohol. Because, you know, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic and an addict in mm -hmm. recovery. Yeah. But... I'm an alcoholic first and then it goes hand in hand. It's not if it's when mm -hmm. it always goes together. So, mm -hmm. you know, we thought we was all that going to the clubs at 17 years old mm -hmm. and in the bars in the West side, you mm -hmm. know, starting there because we was too scared to go downtown first, mm -hmm. but you know, God, I could go. There's a little bit of everything in my past. Um, when I got deep into, well, let's start with, let's go to when I was in a in my first marriage, um, it was pretty bad. And that went from, I mean, physical, emotional, mental abuse. And that's mm -hmm. when I landed in prison. And to be honest, I'm thankful that I went to prison when I did. Um, for so many reasons, it saved my life. And if I would have went to prison probably five years earlier, I would probably still be in prison because I would still be fighting. I would still be a hothead. I still would be disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have made that change that I needed to do to uh, make in order to come out and be successful today. Wasn't it that crazy feeling like when you knew the game stopped? Mm -hmm. When I was in DRDC... Everything got quiet. I got thrown in my cell and I'm in diagnosis. I have no idea where I'm going to land. Like no idea. But it was so quiet. I ain't never slept that hard from the county jail, from like from the street to the arrest, the lights, camera action, helicopters are chasing you, handcuffing you, doing all the things that you do because I have to make everything animated and I don't surrender that well. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, High speed chases, all that stuff. Then you finally get in the county jail and you're going through that. Then you're fighting and fighting and fighting and trying to wheel and deal and wheel and deal and wheel and deal and figure out what you're going to get. And then you finally get sentenced. And then one day they come and pick you up and they put you in. You know, you got to bend over and cough and put the powder stuff on you and do all the different things to take pictures and all that kind of stuff. And then you get thrown in the cell. And I remember sitting there like, the game's over. Yep. I slept for like, 
12 hours straight, just out Lights like a out. lamp. Yeah. Because the whole game was just over finally. It was in the most terrible place of my life, but, you know, I still had years I was looking at ahead of me. But it just felt good that, like, when I woke up, I was like, hey, I need, I need to make a change on this, this run. It was the third time. <laughs> I needed to make a change. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, this is, that's when the embarrassment came in. You know what I mean? So, yeah, explain more on me. how, because you're a product of, of prison recovery. You know, you're a product of waking up through that, that experience. What was like, like that for you? And what was it in a women's prison was different? You know what I mean? That's what I've always been interested in having somebody on the show to talk about. You know, Nani and everybody else can tell me pieces of what they've done on that, but like a real adulterated, hey, I was in there. Nobody's really focused yet. What was that like to, to find yourself in prison to make that change? Well, first of all, I was 36 years old and I was facing 24 years. <laughs> and so I was like, my life is over. Like, mm -hmm. this is going to be the rest of my life. And I couldn't believe it. After all the years and all the things that I had done throughout my entire life, at that moment, I never in a million years thought that I would be going to prison. Yeah. You know? And in county jail is when I actually started the change. Um, still being the same person, still high, still acting up. Um I was in church and I was everybody around is jaw jerking and and I'm like how embarrassing is this like mm -hmm. I felt disgusted and so um, from that moment I started to change like hanging out with the people being in the mix doing those things that I was doing worrying about the wrong things and so but for me when I was in that bus and I got to that gate. And the gate closed behind me. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. This is real. Yeah. I'm here. It's going down. And there ain't no turning back. Mm -hmm. I can't run. I can't leave. My name like, is what? 124444. Four, four. Yeah. Me? Yeah, it's 124444. Four, four. No. Mine is 183055. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got the old number. No, my, my cousin Albert was 66666 before he passed away. Oh, Whoa. my God. That is straight sixes. Dang. When I, when I heard crazy. that, I was like, That's God, crazy. I just want to become Christian and throw holly water on him. <laughs> Jesus, man. <laughs> Jesus saving. Yeah. Um, and going in there, I think um, at that age, I was already ready for the change. So it was not as hard as it was for me if I would have went in five years at that age, you know, I had a different mindset. So my goals were different. It wasn't like, oh, my God, because when I went in, there was like a West Side reunion. Mm. I'm like, this is where everybody's been. Right. Whoa. <laughs> what the <laughs> heck? Oh, like, oh, the oh. Yeah. Now I know why I haven't seen yeah. you. It was embarrassing. Like, you yeah, know? So, so my friend Dennis Gonzalez, unfortunately, <laughs> is back up in there. I walk in the, in the chow hall and I got this dude kind of buffed out looking at me. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go. So I'm already sitting at the newcomer's table. You know what I mean? Because nobody's really <laughs> put me up in the car. It's the first time I'm in. So he comes by and he's smiling at me. I'm like, man, this dude, who 
Dennis and don't take and he was the like, Snickers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Dennis says, "Hey, man, come and sit with us." So we talked to the captain's, uh, the captain of the, the building. He gets me over uh, next the next month. I'm in the cell with him, and I remember we're sitting there just staring up at the at the thing and, look, and we're looking at our TVs and we looked at each other. At the same time, we we're like basically said the same thing. Remember when we were younger talking about all those great things we were going to be, and we said at the same time. How mother effing wrong we were and just started dying <laughs> laughing. You know, we're sitting there sharing a prison cell. Yeah. You know, we went to high school, middle school together and hustled and dropped out at the same time. And, you know, everybody's telling us it ain't going to go nowhere. Me and him are like, you're going to be a rapper. I'm going to be a promoter. I'm going to have $10 million in houses and businesses and construction and all this. And he's he's having his own little dreams and everything like that. And we ain't nothing but addicts sitting in a cell. Watching a TV that's clear as can be, mm-hmm. about that big, and using our toes to change the channel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You learn how to use that like a chopstick. You know, <laughs> you know, just sitting there changing that channel. You know, but go ahead. So being in there, you know, um, it's just a whole nother little. It's like its own world in there. Yeah, and. Um, I literally like I was I was scared. I cuz you know you watch all these prison movies and you know there's all these gangs and all the it ain't nothing like that really to no. be honest, no. Yeah. Um but it's what you make it. Of course there's fights, of course there's still things that go on inside yeah. the prison that um keep you lost and addicted and all that, but if yeah. you choose to do the right things, um, for me, I had to do all the mental health classes yeah. because I still knew that it was my mental health issues that kept me going backwards. All these thoughts that I kept telling myself, I ain't worthy. I'm no good. I'm I'm a piece of, I won't do it good job. for you. Good job. <laughs> but you had the willingness to do that. You were willing to say, you were willing to take a look at those things. And that's that acceptance that you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. that you had when you right. went in there. That's that, courage. That's courage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. You really have to dig deep in into those traumas because in order for you to get through trauma, you have to face it. Mm-hmm. And all those years growing up in and out of therapy and counseling and all that it would just make me more angry because they're like okay wow um and they'd poke and poke and poke because mm-hmm. you have to face it you have to go through that again in order to heal from it and i wasn't ready and when i went to prison i was ready mm-hmm. to sit down and say hey you know what i was lost i was addicted you know, I made mistakes. Yeah. I I did everything that I said I wasn't going to do um, by using and drinking and running off and stealing cars. And like he said, going out with the big bang because I was going hard. I wasn't going home. So I was going, yeah. <laughs> I was going hard. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the sad situation is looking at it like, um, how do I, I fix that? You know, I had to think about everything that made me feel shameful and regret the things that I did. Because when we're living in the streets, um, selling drugs, doing all the things that we're doing in our mind, we're so cool and everything's all good. And, you know, and it's really not 
Mm-hmm. Not, no, I memorized every person's name in my discoveries through everything. And I got thick books full of that stuff. And I would watch the news and, you know, like even perspective and recovery when I looked at it, because I was like, yeah, they're part of this again because they're doing this arrest. But then when I got in recovery, I really thought about it because some of them did some pretty violent things and got on probation. And, you know, a lot of laws are made behind these police officers. But then I realized, man, they fighting the same fight that we got because they could have killed me that night. And the stuff that I was doing, the high-speed chases and the people I endangered and put, endangered myself, had every opportunity to smoke me. Me too. You know what I mean? In recovery, I was destined to be in healing. Like, I'm back in the healing process now, 10, and a half, 10, 10 years, 7 months later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm back in the healing process. You know, it's just, you know, I got to reboot. You know, so rebooting in prison, I feel you. Like, question I have is, is on the mental health with your woman in prison, you're expected from the neighborhood, you got family members that you've known for years and friends, all these things. What made you stay in it in the day that you left? What kept you on pace? Mm. To be honest, my faith, my faith in God. Um, if I Amen. wouldn't have stood out of the mix and found my worth again because being in the my previous marriage like i was stripped of my whole identity okay. like i was it was so bad um and i wasn't able to do like you know i was uh, we won't even get into that because that's okay. just kind of yeah, like yeah put it kind of like and making it seem like it was all that person and it wasn't it was me allowing that person back in my life and stripping me of everything that i was because i couldn't really because anybody i dealt with was a man and that was not acceptable because it was insecurities over here um abuse because of the insecurities and stuff like that but finding my worth again and getting to the bottom of my problems and knowing that it was not okay. It was not my fault what I went through when I was a child and um, healing from that is what really helped me. And then just educating myself, going in there, getting my GD, getting in classes. Like I said, I did all the mental health that was available to me. Um, Came out with 27 college credits. Yes. Um, Got connected. Um, Every teacher, all the people who were important that could get me in classes knew who I was. I was the one that was doing all the illegal moves. (laughs) (laughs) It's lunch, but I'm going up here. I'm going to go talk to this person. (laughs) Because if I didn't advocate for myself, then I wouldn't have got where I needed to be. Yeah. Because nobody cares. And if I'm going to send a kite to my case manager, it's going to be- yeah, it's gonna be when. <laughs> By the time I get out, I'll, yeah. oh, they'll send me a kite back the day before I leave. No, yeah, you gotta learn um, to play the game. Yeah, so I really advocated for myself. All the main te- people who could get me in the important classes that I wanted to get time off my my sentence. Um, I ended up with a twelve year sentence. I did um, almost four, so which wasn't too bad. I was, yeah. I was super thankful yeah. for that. Well, you put in the work, you know what I mean? That's how you got out. Yeah. You know, cause definitely I'm, had to put you know, in the work. There's, there's people, we know, we all know 
get like a five-year sentence, turn it into a life sentence because they yep. don't know how to act up inside there. Mm-hmm. Like, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Like, and that's mental health and addiction. And it that's, is. you know, when when people get too far in the mix and you see them, those cannonballs. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, like, like you try to talk to them like, yo, calm down, homie. Go, go. Make a burrito, homie. Yeah. <laughs> Chill out. What's what's happening here? You know, because like on the men's side, a prison jail gangbang is for real. You oh, know, it's, it's a not whole different ball game. Yeah, and the women's side, yeah, men's side, that's that's for real. You know, race, race and gangs and politics and extortion. You know, it's nothing like the movies and all that stuff that they talk about other things. You know, that's because it's more flashier and whatever sexual or whatever you want to put it. No, nah, it's a. Uh, when you in prison and you, you, I'm sure you can contest to this, you become that can of carrots that gets passed around at every food bank. Yeah. People tend to forget about who you are. Visits get smaller. Sometimes you don't get money on your books anymore. You'll make that phone call and see if you got money on your, on your, on your phone, but you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, it gets shrinks and it shrinks. Then you find yourself writing letters and they become one-sided letters. You just writing just because you writing. Yeah. You know, at that point, because nobody's really responding. It's not that they don't love you. They just don't have the time. Yeah. You know, and they've lost, they, they lost the luster to it. And you show up one day and everybody's surprised at just, hey, how are you? What's what's up, man? What's new? I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, three hots and a got. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's weights. Yeah. Craziness. Despair. Distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the hole for a since I, I got out, you know, it was good to see people. You know what I mean? It's nice got to see the, the door. This is dope. <laughs> got a key to the door. All right. We in business. We got a key to the door. <laughs> well, life goes on. When yeah. we go to prison, you know, life goes on on the outside. Mm. Yeah. And we're not the only ones doing time. Yeah. And we heard a lot of people. And in the process, um, a lot of people turned their backs. I was super thankful that I can admit that when my dad in the beginning was like, I'm going to disown you when you, if you lose these kids, I was fighting for my babies. And Mm. um, he said, if you lose these babies, I'm going to disown you. And I allowed my ex-husband back in my life. And guess what happened? I lost everything, including my kids. And my dad said he was going to disown me and he turned his back on me. And then I was running the streets and then I landed up in prison, but he was there for me. It's good. The entire time. It's but cool. We both got dads in recovery. My dad's got like 46 years in recovery. My mom was a hard love Catholic that lit the whole house. Oh. United States on fire with candles and novellas and <laughs> yelling at me. But my, my dad, but my dad though, he would just, it didn't matter what happened. And it got pretty bad at the end of the federal end. He was sitting in that chair with the same look on his face. And I didn't understand what it meant. Like I go, why is this guy so calm and cool? And I finally had the conversation of why he's been sober for so many years. And he just, then I got recovery and I understood. That's what I do today. When somebody's hurting, I just stay calm and cool as much as I can be, unless you like deliberately yelling at me or something, then I'm going to act up. But, you know, I try to stay calm and coolest as I can. And understanding this like my father did, because, I mean, he didn't drop a tear. He didn't break down. He just knew that I was an addict, a person in recovery, not only my father, but somebody that need to advocate for my feelings and know that I wasn't alone. I don't know if I could have done those multiple bids and been in all those courtrooms without that man. Mm. 
You know what I mean? My mom had to check out and I love her to death and she had to do those things for that, you know. Um, but my father, every court date, didn't matter where it was at. Every visit didn't matter taking my daughter up to me. You know Having what I mean? that one person who supports yeah. you and believes in you. Yeah, just and, and that takes, everything. and it's a we program, right? Right. Yes. It's a we program. We know how to heal each other. Yes. You know what I mean? And we're going to mess up. Like, I'm, I'm going to mess up 8 million times a Sunday. You know what I mean? I'm still, you know, like, that's that divine comedy of it. I was a piece of whatever for years. So I try every day not to be that piece of whatever. You know what I mean? So people don't have to experience that person that I used to be. But sometimes that stuff slips out because so many years of 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 generational teaching and training. And I mean, it's training when you you learning something like when you think a baby's just kind of playing and ignoring the yelling. They're playing more and animated inside that thing because they're more concentrating on what mommy and daddy's got to say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And whatever's happening, our cousins hitting each other or, or learning how to sell drugs and learning how to like the cousins over there. And you just trying to stay close enough to figure it out and how they drink and how they smoke and how they do it mm-hmm. and what they do and all these mm-hmm. things. And then before you know it, like you, you wait in your turn. It's not like experimenting. Mm-hmm. You just wait in your turn. And as soon as they they look at you and they're like, bam, you're in there in, in a flash. Mm-hmm. And you got that beer down your throat before you even got it. You, you're showing them that I learned from you and trying to get cool points and, and rolling that stuff. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's crazy to know, you know what I mean? And people don't know a lot. Like when I talk to people in Vegas about Denver, they think this is a cowboy state. Nah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. No, I mean, <laughs> you got the wrong place. This place is huge. And, you know, um, just because... We have nicer buildings than an average ghetto place that's been beat up. Man, you could have eight Crips or eight West Side GKIs in a house that's worth a half a million dollars mm. because HUD got it for them. Mm. You know what I mean? Don't let the sticker the sticker mess you up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. things are going down yeah. still. Yeah. You know, and it's and you know, right now we got we we're very high on the murder rate. People are dying, you know, like crazy. People it's are getting so, shot like crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. so sad. It is it's sad. We lived, we just moved to Green Valley Ranch and we lived downtown. And just in the homeless population, mm-hmm. like the homeless camps were yeah. right. We lived right by Jesus Saved and four people got killed in the homeless camps, you know, and they're their own little community. Oh, like yeah. they they don't snitch there. They have the the drug dealers, the prostitutes, oh, yeah. the addicts, yeah. you know, and it's like a whole nother little thing out there. And just with that, people struggling with homelessness, like yeah. it is so sad. It breaks my heart and it breaks my heart even more that you look out the window and it's somebody that I have a 21 and a 25 year old, you right. know, and I'm like, God, I thank God every day that my son is not out there on that corner doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, they get younger and younger and younger. And their mental health is just, yeah, deteriorating. Yeah, it's tough out there. It's tough out there. Yeah, you know, it gets cold, you know, in Denver. You got to get, I mean, you get desperate measures. I think that's the only reason why to get get homeless because like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sleeping on no floor. I'm going to, I'm going to use my creativity to get what I need or I'm going to go to jail trying. You. you know what I mean? That's, That's what, what I'm going to do. I'm going to manipulate. Yeah. That's yeah. And I did. I manipulated my way through every system possible 
to get what I need, you know, and, it, and it's crazy because, you know, I'm not saying I'm the guru of stuff. You have the same experiences and stuff like that. But 48 years old, when I look at somebody trying to game me, I get real quiet because it's like, man, I tried to do that in 92, yo. You know what I mean? I was, that was what happened when my sister was doing that in 98. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Like, I, I've been young. I've been old. I've been, you know, I've been in prison. I've been in all this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to, like, give a teaching to somebody. It's just really heartfelt and depressing because you really don't have that answer. It's just that like-minded situation that you see it. And it kind of triggers and traumatizes you, And you know, because you can say the wrong things. And I've been guilty of saying the wrong things to, to people. You know what I mean? So just sitting back and being quiet, you know, and that's hard for me, as you know, on this radio station, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's hard for me, but you know, I got more questions for you. Like, so you got through, you got through college, you got your kids back, right? Well, no. Okay. So um, through, because I lost my kids and then I went to prison. So I lost the chance to f like mm -hmm. fight for them. Okay. And so Really, to me, that was like the worst thing for me um, that kept me most shameful. And like, it just, that was the one thing that held me down, boy. It kept me, yeah. didn't, it put me in this place where I didn't care. I didn't, felt like I didn't have nothing, yeah. you know, kept me in my addiction. Mm -hmm. So being in prison and wanting to change and not being in the mix and, and making the changes that I needed to do. So when I came out, like, that's all I need to do is be successful. So that way, that when they do want to come and find me, that I'm a person that they want to be around. Yeah. Because if I'm addicted sure. and I'm lost and I'm still running the streets and I'm still doing the same things that I was doing before, then they ain't going to want to be in my life. Right? Nope. But um, but you lead by example. Mm -hmm. So you said God is big, right? God is huge. huge. God is everything. <laughs> what is what is your recovery basis now? What do you do? Like what I I've been hearing this rainbow, 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 rainbow got pregnant. Rainbow just had a kid. Could be on, on the show. <laughs> hey, but God. rainbow, now she's packed like you're like the Terminator. Now you're here <laughs> like a day and a half later or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, first of all, um <laughs> one of the other things that um helped me through prison is because I used to see how many people were that revolving door. And so my one of my goals was to make change, to get out so I could go back and be that person for the women inside there. Because we make these connections inside prison. And when we get out, we don't get to keep them. Well, now they're changing that. So it's a little bit different. But yeah. um, I want it to be because of who I am when people I'm a recovery coach. And yeah, so I right. get a, I get a give back. Yeah, give I a get, shout out to who you work for. Make sure um, that they get the big ups for that. P2P recovery right. and empowerment. Love so, empowerment. I yes, love them. They do big things. They do a lot of good things mm -hmm. in the community for women. There's so many things out there for men and mm -hmm. um, not mm -hmm. so many for women. That's right. Um, we need to build on that. So yeah. um, if I could change one life by being a peer recovery coach, then. That's my whole, that fills my cup and it makes me happy. Mm -hmm. I think that needs to be entry level to everything to be coming in this field. You got to sit there and be a recovery coach first. Cause if you don't understand through coaching or, you know, or you're in a fellowship where you learn sponsorship and being a sponsee, 
you know, and those are two very different animals, everybody that's listening. Those are two very, very different animals, two very different programs, but concepts of the bottom of the first days coming in and having somebody next to you, you know, like, you know, it's a very, very hard job she has. You know, the average lifespan, career span of somebody doing 24-7 full-time recovery coaching is a two to three years because you just get burnt out. It's you know a full-time I mean? job. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's hard. Yeah. You're burying a lot of people. You're seeing a lot of people regress. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of triumphs and like you can't wait for those triumphs, you know? Like sometimes I, I still got that hard time when somebody like, Tomas, you saved my life, this, this, and that. You know, it still kind of feels weird. Like uh, I... You know what I mean? Cool, man. You know, that's, that's great. You know what I mean? How you doing today? You know what I mean? Just, you know, it's, uh, it's being able to that ground level and you know what P2P does and empowerment does in the inner city, you know, they're two very different animals. One's, you know, homeless and the other one's, you know, for the women and inside the prison systems, you know, LGBTQ plus and a whole lot of different programs and having buildings like Mariposa and a lot of stuff that's happening that they do great on, you know, and it'd be, it'd be a diverse cultured, situation to where you could be at the mercy of any type of human being in the city at any moment that you're assigned to and you have to have that love and empathy so you know that's what was cool about hearing about your story that was awesome you know that that also everybody speaks highly of how you're in the prison systems and how you speak from the heart about how to do things to get out and do it right you know what I mean? We do not have that many women out there with those capabilities. You know what I mean? And that's why I'm telling your bosses, I'm trying to steal you right now on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. Yeah. I love you guys. <laughs> but- Tell me about what you do in the prison system now. So um, I started going back into the prisons when I was still in community corrections. Mm-hmm. And... So that's a big deal because mm-hmm. they're not really big on that. And so that was a big deal for mm-hmm. me. I fought for that because going in there and what I do is I just go and spread hope yeah, and show them because people know me for selling drugs. Not a lot of people know me as an addict in my addiction. So when they see me and they see me in prison and then they see me out, then they're like, what are you doing? And how did you do that? And how did you get there? And it makes me feel good that them seeing me, instead of me being in the streets known for something negative, Mm -hmm. that it's known now they see me as a positive and they want to do something different. And I could talk to them and say, hey, this is what I did. This is how I did it. And when you struggle, I'm here. Here's my number. You know, I I write a lot of people. I send pictures. I, For those that don't have family members who yeah. ain't there for them, I get pictures from their families and their kids. And, you know, just that, like you said, that one person, Nani, that will be there and mm-hmm. support them. And I tell them all, every single client I get, I'm like, first of all, I'm no nonsense. Like, I'm going to call you on your, <laughs> yeah. I'm call you real. on your, yeah, because you, there ain't nothing mm-hmm. you could do that I ain't already did, mm-hmm. that I already lied about, or that I denied, yeah. or, you know what I mean? And if you can't be honest with yourself, then you can't be honest with me. And you have to be honest with yourself if you want to be in, um, be successful. Mm-hmm. You can't lie to yourself and say, I'm not an addict. And then go over here and be sober and be something around these people and then be 
over here with these people and going out and doing, you know, um, it's the core resistance, you know, like I have this new, uh, new, uh, mantra saying that I'm doing with all the participants that I got the coaches doing in Vegas and I'm going to have them start doing it in Denver. It's basically, and you speak to it. Nani does slim does to a huge amount because everybody knows who he is in recovery. It's, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want the environment to be a product of me. That's huge. That's so deep. Mm-hmm. Deep. And that's how we beat the stigma. And we ain't perfect. I mess up daily. But I do know no matter what mistake I made, I can help somebody within a split second. I might help before people hes- while other people hesitate. I'm going to apologize even when it feels like my ego should be shattered. I'm going to, you know, do what I need to do and humble myself in a heated moment, I'm going to try to do everything I can to take accountability for my mistakes. And those are those things in recovery that you're like, okay, I'm blown out right now. My family has nothing for me and I've ruined that. What do I have for myself? You know, I remember yelling in a field at God, like I'm like Robert Duvall and the apostle. You know what I mean? I'm going crazy, <laughs> like telling him everything. Like, you know what? You killed my, my friends are dead. Where were you at? You know what I mean? What, what happened here when I was on this? Where were you at? When I got shot, when I got stabbed, when I got this happening, when I overdosed, where were you at? And you know, at the end of the day, when I exhausted myself and I was hoarse, I could just hear a voice in my head say, you're here, right? Yeah. That you're standing in the field. You're here with the next chance. So humble yourself and know I'm here for you. Whatever you want to call me, God, Takashla, Wankatanka, Muhammad, whatever you want to label me as today, just know I'm your friend and I'm here. I'm here. You know, and that's the message of coaching. You know, there's there's a thing that, you know, when you talk about spirituality versus religion and you learn this in recovery and you'll, you'll stumble upon it a million times. It's basically it states religion is for people that are trying to find heaven. Spirituality are for people that have been through hell trying to find peace. Mm. You know, I'm going to go with spirituality yo, because I'm trying to find peace because I can make my own living hell in a three million dollar mansion because I'm at it. Mm hmm. I could have it paid for with the lights and every bells and whistles and all the cars and clothes and whatever these 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 commercials that want to drape you in all the gold and bigger gold and better and beautiful this and beautiful that and all that. But I could be in the mouth of madness because of my addiction, because I have no spirituality, because I've lost my way and I've done that. And that's what's great about programs and coaches. They'll be like, hey, man, what's up? Like, you know, I got to give out a, sh- a shout out to Lasan Latif. He called me before I got to the radio station. And that's the same thing you identified. And that's people in recovery saying, hey, yo, man, I'm here for you. You look tired. Mm. You look tired, my brother. You look tired. If you need to talk, just call me. You, and, you know, I can't I can't lie about that. It's, that's my that's my mentor. That's the guy that I look up to. And he says the same thing about me, but I, we're always battling who looks up to each other more. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, but he's older yeah. than me and he's, and he's done it. And he's been in there, but he was like, you know, my brother, you're tired, man. You got to take some time for yourself. You I'm have worried. to have a yeah. lot of people like that in your life yes. when you're in recovery. You because do. for me, community was huge. Before it was the streets yes. and all the wrong people. But once I started to make connections and have 
my church family and mm -hmm. people who, um, if I looked at your life, and this is what I tell my girls, if you have somebody in your life and you look at them and you don't, they don't have something that you want in a good positive way, then they shouldn't be in your life. Yeah. That's right. Like, you know, you should have good people in their in yeah. your life that are sober, successful. Exactly. Um, that is and, something that. And it's on the reverse, too. If you're not complimenting somebody else's life, you got to go ahead and give them that choice. Like, listen, I'm not really complimentary to your life, man. I'm a lot because I have to do that quite frequently on how I live. Like, are you sure you want me in your life? You know what I mean? Like, because I am in recovery. I have mental health addiction. I'm an entrepreneur in the things that I do. You know what I mean? Like, that's sponsees. That's people that you coach. That's people, you know what I mean? Even friends. You know what I mean? If you even, you know, whatever relationship you're in. You got to, you know, make sure that you check that temperature because it's not all about your time. It's about their time because their time can bleed into your time. And then both of y'all have no time for each other because it just doesn't work no more. You know what I mean? And you got to be conscious of those things because we're addicts. We perseverate. Give me some more like, you know. Plane tickets, like, oh, I can go on a plane. Okay, well, I'm gonna go 70 million times. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm already, <laughs> bang, man, bang, I'm bang, already, bang. I'm like preferred customer, triple platinum, blah, 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 blah. And I've only been flying for like eight months. You know what I mean? They're Mr. Hernandez and me. I don't even look. Who are you? What do you mean? How do you know my name? You know what I mean? But, you know, with all that kind of say, said, you know, um, like, man, uh, like I said, as soon as you started talking for the listeners out there out in the West and the North and the East side, Close your eyes and think about what this 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 lady's saying downtown and think about where you're at if, 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 if you're struggling. Because if you can picture her walking across the victory line and getting her life back, so can you. Yes. Yes. You it know, is possible. In the end, you know, my daughter is my redemption story. You know, me and my husband, for both of me and my husband, we both come from broken families um, generational curses we're breaking with her. Mm -hmm. We're both sober. We get to do it from the beginning. We get to do it right. Yeah. We get to raise her right. Um, teach her right from the beginning and make sure that she's living a different life. You know, I'm still have to mend and yeah. build my relationship with my other kids, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, helping others is, it's the best, right? It's so yes. filling. It's so fulfilling. Yeah, it, you know, I somebody love got a recovery coach. Right. Somebody got a second chance. Sometimes you can do it monetarily. Sometimes you can do it, you know, just with some help and tell that person like, yo, I'm just helping you because I can. You know what I mean? Or I'm just sitting here and listening to you because I can, you know. Um, and I don't know how many times I've been yelled at by people that I'm coaching. Man. <laughs> like, just, like, I just become the Emily number one. I'm like, okay. All right, get it out. Let's 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 figure it out. You know what I mean? And it's uh but like that's the key to to the frustration because really, who are you yelling at? Mm -hmm. Are you yelling at me or are you yelling at yourself? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And why are you yelling? And let's figure out what you need. Mm -hmm. What's the need besides the money part, you know, relationships and all that stuff? What is your needs right now? You know what I mean? So listeners, think about that. If you're struggling right now, what is your actual needs? that separate all family, all relationships, besides the one that you have with whatever spiritual path or you don't have. What are your needs right now? What 
What's going to make you feel all right? And if you don't have an answer for that, that is the perfect answer to find a coach. Exactly. If you don't have that answer, if you're sitting there and you don't have that answer, you need to find help. Because I'm going to hold myself accountable. Because the other day, and family and friends asking me, are you okay? And I don't have that answer. I needed to go check back in with my people. And start doing the work again. Even with 10 years in four days, seven months, clean and sober, it still happens. I have no ideology of anything just for today of using because I can't stand myself. But that's not to say tomorrow. That's not to say the next day. That's not to say whatever. But if you don't have that answer right now, hear that. Multiple times I'm saying that it's time to find help. And if you can't find a coach with P2P, Tribe, Second Chance Center, Encore, you know what I mean? All kinds of different places that we have out there. You could go basically into the library downtown Denver and find a coach. Right there, downtown Denver, that's the beginning of the coaching. That's when Quika started that whole movement out down there. You know what I mean? All those types of things. You know, you can walk into pre-trial. They have coaches. You can walk into the aid center downtown Denver. They got coaches. You can see what the, what the, the mayor of Denver just did. They got yellow jackets on walking around downtown. If you need help, look at that yellow jacket. And go, I'm not going to start a joke yet, but look at that yellow jacket and walk up to that professional or that person, that volunteer and ask them, yo, I need some help. But the biggest thing is also you got 12 steps. Yes. You can Google that quickly and get to a meeting, get to any meeting, A-A-C-A, you know, any A. We'll keep you away from the DEA, the DA, and DOA. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) Stay away. (laughs) Uh, Mahai, our our guest has been Rainbow Griego from Denver. Um, We're running out of time, but real quick, anything you want to say to somebody struggling in addiction right now? Um, The first step is to um, loving yourself enough Mm -hmm. to say that you need help. Amen. You know? Loving yourself yes. enough to say you need help. That's and that's right. not easy, but, you know, Beautiful. that's what you got to do. That's right. Thank you so much, Rainbow. Congratulations you on me. your addiction. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Congratulations on being a mom again. Yes. Wow. Lord. And, yes. and congratulations that because <laughs> without that hard work on your recovery, that wouldn't be happening. No. So baby's lucky. She, she's, the baby's lucky like I was. I never got to see my dad in that mix. My dad got, got clean and sober when he was when I was two years old. I, I don't I have no idea what that man looked like in those days. That's Today. You know what That's I mean? That's how your baby will, will grow. I'm so thankful for that. That's, That's awesome. It's wonderful. A blessing. Um, thank you to Rainbow for being our guest. Yes. Mile High, we want a, a quick thank you to Caring for Denver and the work they do in the Mile High to help people with addiction and recovery. Um, once again, this program is brought to you in part by Tribe Recovery Homes. If you want to reach out to anybody here at this table, please give us a call 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-608-7423. Or you can go online to tribrecoveryhomes.com. Once again, thank you, Rainbow. And you can put your application in there. 
Rainbow can put her application in there. Yes. yes. All right. Rainbow will be working <laughs> for Tribe Recovery for Homes. <laughs> uh, we'll be back pressure, pressure. next week. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us right here for sharing our stories.